<laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, this morning, I wanted to talk to you about a subject that I think is more relevant than almost any I can think of, and that is why I am still a Christian. I'm going to speak on behalf of myself, and I think that it's going to resonate with many, encourage those who are regenerate, be a big encouragement to you. It'll be a warning to those who are lukewarm, who are currently playing around on the edges of the body of Christ. And then finally, it'll be a judgment to those who, are, who falsely proclaim faith in Christ. You know my story, I've told many times, but as we grew up in the church, grew up on a farm in the northern part of South Africa, my mom was, uh, was um, a good shot because we had a lot of baboons that would destroy our farm very often, and she would be out there shooting baboons all day. And she came and picked me up from school once. Uh, my dad had this little Honda 90 motorbike, and um, my mom would come and pick us up. It was a three or four kilometer, I think, drive, five kilometer drive on farm roads. And if you, if you don't know what potholes are, Chicago, those are potholes, not these. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, it was a beautiful farm. My mom would come pick us up at the bus, bus stop after school. I remember the one day she came to pick us up and her glasses, she only had one, one lens. The other one was broken and her glasses were all bent. And she had this massive blue, we call them a shiner, because when she shot that baboon, it pulled back and hurt her. Telescope hurt her. Anyway, <laughs> why am I telling these stories? Uh, we didn't have electricity for um, until I think I was about six, right? We had candlelight and, and lamp and fire. It was wonderful, just wonderful. And uh, it took us about an hour to get to the, to the closest church. We attended this one church where the pastor was caught stealing the church's money. And uh, when he came out of, you know, they put him on probation. He came out of that. Uh, they caught him stealing money the second time, and then uh, they found him dead after he shot himself in the head. That was our first pastor. Then we had a next pastor whose children were really wild. Um, we even took in one of their daughters because she was so strung out on drugs. All of his children were wild. The Bible says you cannot be in the pulpit if your children are unruly. Uh, we tell our children that. And um, his children was, were very unruly. As a matter of fact, his wife passed away for no reason. The doctor said it had to have been from a broken heart, it seemed. Uh, we moved to another city. And uh, we were attending this church where my sister had this boyfriend, good-looking guy. And I remember telling my mom, every time this pastor looks at me, I get an anxiety attack. And um, uh, it was just, there was something going on. And I was, a young, I was young, but I knew that there was something wrong. And my... It was my mom, me, my sister sitting in the pew, and then my sister's boyfriend, only then to find out that this pastor was attempting to get my sister's boyfriend into a physical relationship with himself. And uh, one after the other, it was just devastating for us, but you know, we actually never stopped going to church. Uh, we attended, a, we started attending after that one, we went to a church, it was a mega church, and the pastor is extremely charismatic, really charismatic. And um, that's, uh, you know, where I, where I actually got ordained. 
eventually because I was able to draw a big crowd at the time. Um, uh, I was a Christian singer, gospel singer, and I did that because, uh, long story short, I got an opportunity to do it. And, uh, and uh, my Bible school that they sent me through was Dale Carnegie's course, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I'm actually not kidding. <laughs> and how to manage a crowd. <clears throat> that was my Bible school. And um, because of that, really had no biblical foundation except for what I was hearing from, from the pulpit. And, and when I went into full-time ministry, the idea was that if anybody is in faith, they are in Christ. It is impossible to please God without faith. So as a pastor, if somebody comes to church, I have to see if they're in fact in the church, in, in faith. I would ask them, do you have faith? They would say yes. I said, well, the Bible says you have to prove yourself. You know, you have to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Doesn't it say that? Test yourself. So I would say, well, let's see if you're in the faith. Do you believe that he that, that God uh, is a rewarder of those who seek Him? Because the Bible says anyone who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Do you believe God rewards those who seek Him? The person would go, yes, sir. Yes, pastor. I said, okay, well then, let me see. What, what do you believe in God's going to reward you for? And what I was asking them for is a vision board. <laughs> Give me your vision board. I want to see what do you believe God is going to reward you with, with for your faith. Because if you don't have faith, you can't please God. So they would have to pull out their vision board and show me who, who is this woman they believe God's going to one day give them. <laughs> this is a picture of her. Strangely enough, Pamela Anderson came up real, real often. <clears throat> like, man, this guy's got faith. Look at him. Look at her. Wow. Well, great faith. And... <laughs> Show me the house you believe God's going to reward you with. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that is faith. And if a person can show me his vision board, you would know that they're in the faith. You know they're pleasing God. You know they're in the body of Christ. That was basically our theology. Well, about four years ago, I, I got into a theolo theological crisis. You know why? Because I grew up in... Uh, the word faith, charismatic, Pentecostal, prosperity movements, uh, where we basically um, used eisegesis in order to put your own spin upon every verse because there was an unspoken principle by which all these ministers in those movements actually function. The unspoken principle is this. He who can offer the greatest amount of hope will always have the greatest amount of influence. He who offers the greatest amount of hope will always have the greatest amount of influence. So people are now trying to out Hope piddle each other. God bless you. Every Sunday, it's like, it's like greater hope than the Sunday before. And so what they do all week long is they attempt to find verses that they can put a spin of hope on that nobody's heard of before. Let me tell you, if, if your Christianity is not an ancient Christianity, and if it's not an ancient Christianity, it's no Christianity at all. Right? And so, <clears throat> four years ago or so, uh, I got into this theological crisis when I, because I started reading the Bible, actually. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what? <laughs> no! <laughs> Ow! <laughs> 
Because I had this picture about how am I going to hand the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos my latest copy of your best life now, John. Here you go. How are you going to do this? It doesn't work because it's not biblical. And so I went through that personal theological crisis four years ago. And, and as I did, I started seeing how everybody from my past that I have pastored, not everybody, but a very large portion, all has started going, gone apostate, walking away from the faith. I can tell you that the collateral damage that lies in the wake of the word faith, charismatic Pentecostal prosperity movements is incalculable. You cannot believe the collateral damage in the wake of those movements. And I'll show you why. But I can tell you all day long of people who I personally were in, in um, ministry with and ministered to who have walked away from the faith to the point where they absolutely are now antagonistic toward the Bible. And they absolutely... Uh, have become the enemy of Christ publicly. I'll give you one example. This one lady that was a young girl. She was um, um, not just a friend, but um, to Anthony Noza, Sarah Beth, Tina, Jen, Connie. Um, beautiful young girl, extremely motivated in life. Everything is beautiful. High school girl and the thing is that she had a great talent, so she became the, one of the lead vocalists in our worship team. Only then, now uh, she's a man married to another man who lives as a woman and won't stop, won't stop um, taking the scriptures out of context and judging God's word, judging God for what he has said. How dare he say this is not love, for instance. So now, it's almost like these people <laughs> live to be God's judge and all judge of all those who believe in God. You see, Job, the book of Job, if you read through it, you'll see that God eventually confronts Job. Why does he confront him? Because... Job assumed a position of job, ju a judge over God's decisions. God decided to treat Job a certain way, and Job judged why God would do that. God started asking Job questions. Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky, Job? Where were you? You're so clever. Tell me, Job, where were you when I drew the lines and commanded the waters of the ocean this far and no further? Where were you when I did that? When I stretched out the skies, where were you when I did that? You're telling me that you know how I'm supposed to make decisions? You want to tell me that you are the one to tell me what's right and wrong, good and evil? And I don't get to do it. Where were you when I, when I created you and blew breath into your lungs? Where were you when that happened, Job? You see, all sin starts when we, like Eve in the garden, we elevate ourselves as judge over God's decisions. Eve took it upon herself to judge God's decision as untrue while judging the snake's promises as truth. She judged God. That's what she did. 
the rich young ruler, he walks up to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? But before he says that, he says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, wait a minute, why do you call me good? Like, who are you to decide this is good and something else is evil? This is right and that's wrong. He says, God alone is good. God decides these things you so confidently spew. He's the one who judges good from evil, judges what's right, what's wrong. He's the one who judges which decision is green and which one is red. And we don't get to do that. This is where society becomes guilty of blasphemy, calling good evil and evil good. Society has ultimately, in this day and age that you and I live in, <clears throat> society has, has now created a good that's become the enemy of God. But that's good, therefore it can't be God. Oh, that's good, therefore God must be evil. See, there is this place where, that be, where that's happening, and it's happening today. At the end of the day, we see scriptures warning us against assuming position of judge over God. Scriptures warn us, whether it be Job, whether it be Eve, whether it be the rich young ruler. In a, in a generation obsessed with not judging, don't be judgmental. They themselves have become blind to their own judgmentalness of God. Their own judgment of God. So here is a list of influential figures I wanted to give you in Christianity today who have publicly deconstructed their faith. Now, Jacques Derrida, back in the day, came up with a whole deconstruction idea. He was a philosopher. And that's what's happening in society today. Everything has to be deconstructed, burnt down, system has to be collapsed, system has to collapse. We have to start all from scratch. Everything has to be deconstructed. It comes from those philosophers of old. And now it has come into the church, of course, because the church's doors are so wide open because they don't really have shepherds. So the deconstruction has seeped into the church and people are deconstructing their faith <clears throat> and here's a list of influential prominent people in this in society in the christian society community who have publicly deconstructed their faith you know of some of them kevin max he was one of the three front men for dc talk how many of you remember dc talk yeah kevin max he had his fantastic voice um yeah uh, he deconstructed his faith publicly. Joshua Harris, who wrote the best-selling, he's a best-selling author, wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Marty Sampson, who is lead singer for Hillsong uh, Worship Team. Uh, also, John Steingart, frontman for Christian rock band Hawk Nelson. The list goes on and on of public figures, influencers, who have publicly deconstructed their faith walking away from Christ. John Steingart went public with his deconstruction in a post on social media. I want to read it to you because it's very enlightening and very insightful. Quote, he says, I've been terrified to post this for a while, but it feels like it's time for me to be honest. I hope this is not the end of the conversation, but the beginning. I hope this is encouraging to people who might feel the same, but are as, as afraid as I am to speak about it. I want to be open, he says. I want to be transparent with you all and also open to having my heart changed 
in the future. He says, when you grow up in a community that holds and shares shared belief, when you grow up in a community that holds a shared belief, and that shared belief is so incredibly central to everything, you simply adopt it. Everyone I was close to believed in God, listen to this, and accepted Jesus into their hearts. Red flag. That's actually not biblical. So I did too. He accepted Jesus into his own heart. He says, I became interested in music, began playing and singing on worship teams, and started leading worship at church and youth events. Even then, I remember being uncomfortable with certain things. There were things that just didn't make sense to me, he wrote. If God is all-loving and all-powerful, listen to this, beating a dead horse. If God is all-loving and all-powerful, why is there evil in this world? Join Bible School 101, all right? Can he not do anything about it? Again, join Christ Nation Bible School. Does he choose not to? Is the evil in the world a result of his desire to give us free will? Okay, then, he says, what about famine <laughs> and disease and floods and all the suffering that isn't caused by humans and our free will? Wow. John Cooper from Skillet responded to that statement. He says, I wish the guy would read a book. Literally. Okay, then what about famine and disease and floods and all of the suffering isn't caused by humans and our free will? He says, last statement, and I prefer if God did exist. I suspect if he is there, he is, however, very different from the one I was taught. See? All right. That, that about tells you why that happened. So what does the Bible say about those who deconstruct their faith? By the way... John, basically, in a nutshell, gave you all the reasons, basically, everybody's deconstructing their faith, okay? So, what does the Bible say about those who deconstruct their faith? 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Some will deconstruct their faith. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and teaching, teachings of demons. Let me quickly just tell you what it's saying. This guy was paying attention to doctrines of demons, and because of it, he fell away. He was taught to ask Jesus into his little heart, and now he's fallen away. He was taught about a God that didn't look like the God of the Bible, and when he saw the God of the Bible, it was a completely different God than he ever believed in, so he had to walk away from it. Can you see? He was taught by doctrines of demons, deceitful spirits. All right, 2 Peter 2, verse 20, verse 20 through 22 says, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, pause, if they escaped the defilements of the world, how did they escape the defilements of the world? By the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They learned about Jesus Christ. They came into a church community possibly, and they escaped the defilements of the world for a season. Quote, a comma. They are again entangled in them and are overcome. What is he saying here? These people who escaped the world because of Jesus, they're again entangled by the world and overcome by the world. Then it says, the lost state has become worse for them than the first. His lost state, now that he goes back to the world after coming into a church community, he goes back to the world. His final state is worse than his first state. Then it says, verse 21, for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness 
than having to know it. It would have been better for that person to not have ever heard of Jesus Christ than have to be taught the gospel. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of, the, of righteousness than having known it. To turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them, it has happened to them according to true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. And so, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. Now, know this, folks. I'm telling you this. Why? Because I know that this year, many of you are going to be severely tested in many ways. The world is being tested, but remember, judgment starts where? In the house of the Lord. The first shaking happens here. People first receive pressure in the church, and shaking happens here, and people are falling out everywhere because what about famines? What about the droughts? And people fall out because of those questions, right? But when pressure comes, people run. It says it. When the four kinds of seed, uh, when the seed is sown on the four kinds of soil, when trouble comes, the one in the shallow ground, he, he's, he uproots and, and is gone. When challenges come, and I'm telling you this because challenges are coming, have come, especially not just to us, but to those we know. And now we have to know why they make the decisions they do. Why are they going online to publicly deconstruct their faith? Because what, what does the Bible say about those who deconstruct their faith? It doesn't, it's not people who are deconstructing their faith. They are what we know as apostates. Apostasy is taking place. A falling away. That's what that is. And it's important for us to see things clearly so that when pressure comes, we know what's happening and we know how to decide now what you're going to do then. That's the most mature position anybody can be in. Decide today what you will do when that ever happens. Choose now how you will react then. So what people know as deconstruction, sounding all intelligent, is really what we understand as apostasy. I have a video for you from Michael Kruger. Thank you. All of us as Christians share a common experience that's rather difficult that we don't often talk about. Uh, and that experience is that we often know people that we thought were believers, that we thought were Christians, that later turn out not to be. In fact, most of us, if we were to think through our life, probably know several people like this, and some may even hit close to home and be rather heartbreaking. That was true in my own life. I grew up with a youth pastor in my church that seemed to love the Lord Jesus and teach us the Bible, and then later he left the faith, renounced Christianity, and went off in a completely different direction. That was a very heartbreaking experience for me as a young man. I know we all could share stories like that. There's a category for that in the Bible. Uh, when someone who seems to be a Christian and who's part of the church ends up leaving the church, that person is what we call an apostate. And apostasy is a real problem out there in the world today and has been true for God's people for generations. And Christians often struggle, what, well, what exactly is an apostate? Uh, how do I think about this? What, what categories do I put it in? And what I often tell people is you want to begin first by saying what an apostate is not. First thing that, to realize about an apostate is they're not just a non-Christian. Uh, the world's filled with non-Christians, people who don't know Jesus, and 
who aren't saved, that's not an apostate. An apostate isn't just an unbeliever out there. Also, an apostate is not just a struggling Christian. We have many people who are Christians who love Jesus that have periods of backsliding and periods of struggle and even periods of disobedience. Think about King David in the Bible, but no one would call him an apostate. So then what is an apostate? Well, an apostate is someone who's inside God's covenant community, is part of the visible church, who's professed faith in Christ and seems to be a believer, probably partakes of the Lord's Supper and is a member of that congregation, and then later consciously, intentionally repudiates their belief in Christ and leaves the covenant community. That is what an apostate is. And people get confused by that because they think, well, does this mean you can lose your salvation? And the answer is no. Um, Apostates are not people who were Christians and then stopped being Christians. Apostates were never Christians to begin with, and only later did it become apparent that they weren't Christians. But here's the upshot of the whole thing for us, is that God uses the stories of apostates to warn his people. Time and time again, he says, don't end up like that person. Don't prove later to find yourself to be a non-Christian. Stay the course, persevere. That doesn't mean people can actually lose their salvation, but God uses those warnings and he uses the examples of apostates to encourage his people to stay true to the faith. And this is something that we're always going to face in the church, but thankfully we can trust that we're in God's hands. And when we're in God's hands, no one can be plucked out of the hands of the Father. John Steingart was a Christian because he asked Jesus into his heart. Today, when you look at evangelicalism, what part, portion of the church do you believe came to Christ or came to the church community asking Jesus into their heart but never really got saved? Large. How many people do you think today came to the church because, you know, life was just tough for them and so they just came because they they needed relief from life? They didn't come and ask, they didn't come because they knew they needed their sin to be dealt with. No, they came not because of their sin. They came because the world was tough. They came to a church community because they needed, they needed to feel loved. Or So a large part of the body of Christ came in for reasons other than sin. And as he said there, at some point, it's going to be revealed that that person is in fact not a Christian because they will deconstruct. They have to eventually. And what I'm telling you is that we just need to be aware of this because it will happen. So buckle up. (laughs) It will happen. John Cooper from the rock band Skillet recently posted an opinion piece called, quote, What in God's name is happening in Christianity? On his face, that it was on his Facebook and it went viral. <clears throat> in this post, he states a big reason we continue seeing apostasy today. That is because, he says, we have positioned influencers and talented musicians, speakers, or entertainers at the forefront of our attention rather than Jesus and the principles of God. That's why I have no problem turning off Christian artists. So today, I want to share with you why I am still a Christian. Because I think it will resonate with those who are regenerate. I think it will be a warning for those who are playing around the edges of Christianity. And I think that it will be a a judgment for those who proclaim that they are Christians when in fact they really aren't. The first is a a theological reasons or theological reasoning. 
The second would be a re relational reasoning as to why I'm still a Christian. And thirdly, it will be logical reasoning why I'm still a Christian. But first, theologically speaking, why am I still a Christian today? Well, because who else do I have but Christ? Where else can I go? I know I'm depraved. I know I'm a sinner. I know I have broken God's law, and I know that my sin needs judgment. Now, where can I go? Have an idea? <laughs> Psalm 73 verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. If I thought I was all valuable and perfect, I wouldn't have that problem. Unfortunately, I know my sin. And I need a Savior. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. God's word translation says in the next verse 26, My body and mind may waste away. How true is that? But God remains the foundation of my life and my inheritance forever. You see, the most certain thing in life is that none of us, from the oldest to the youngest, are leaving here alive. None of us leave this place alive. Death is certain, and we do not think about it enough. We do not teach it to our children because we think they have so much time. But just like it was a blink of an eye for you before you turned 51, Steve, you were, what in the world just happened? How did I get here? It's going to be true for your kids. We don't talk about this enough. Thank God I'm only going to be, I'm only 49, so. <clears throat> a long time. No, nobody has a long time. I love in verse 26 in the God's Word translation, my body and mind may waste away. It will. God remains the foundation of my life. I mean, who else do I have but Christ? Who else do I have to turn to? Jesus just got finished telling everybody, hey, unless you eat of my flesh, and drink of my blood. You have no part in me. And they were like, he's talking about cannibalism? What's wrong with him? He was doing so good until now. <laughs> Look at this. This is what he told him. And of course, let's pick it up from there. Now that you know the backdrop. John 6, verse 60 says, So then many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This statement is very unpleasant. Who can listen to it? <laughs> They weren't that proper. I don't know what the translators were thinking. But Jesus, aware that the disciples were complaining about this, said to them, Is this offensive to you? What then, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? In other words, what if you see Him ascending to heaven? Is this still going to be offensive to you? What then, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before, in the Spirit who gives life, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you, speaking to his disciples, who do not believe. There are some who just don't believe. They say they do, but they don't. And then it says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were. Multiple. Those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. 
And he was saying, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. Nobody came to him as a true disciple unless it was God who brought that person. All the others who came, they came by themselves and they're going to leave by themselves. And God is not to be blamed by it for it. Verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples left and would no longer walk with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to leave also, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> it's not like I don't want to leave, but I have nowhere to go. <laughs> Lord, to whom shall we go? You have Words of eternal life. And we have already believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So I'm still a Christian because, theologically speaking, where else would I go? I'm still a Christian because, theologically speaking, I persevere. I don't stop. He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't worthy of the kingdom. But I persevere. I persevere. However, I persevere because he preserves me. He gets the glory as to... My perseverance. <laughs> if God did not preserve me, I could not have persevered, and neither could you have. God gets the glory. Jude 1 verse 1 says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, to them who are the called and kept by God for Jesus, kept to, he, to Him, He keeps you. I'm still a Christian, theologically speaking, because I can't uncreate this new creature that God has birthed. I cannot unborn this new birth. I am still a believer and a Christian, theologically speaking, because I can't make this, un make this willing heart become unwilling. I cannot make my willing heart become unwilling toward God. Why can't I become unwilling to serve God? Because I don't want to. Look at this. I don't want to become unwilling. But Jacques, there are many people who want to. John Steingart's one. Yeah, but I, I am not willing. I can't make my willing heart become unwilling. Why? Because I don't want to. You know why I don't want to? Because the Bible is very clear. He works in me. Both to will <laughs> and to do his good pleasure. Do you want to serve God? Absolutely. Why don't you rather become unwilling? I can't. Why not? Because I don't want to. Why don't you want to? Because He worked in me both to will and to do His good pleasure. Every one of us are slaves to our will. Unless God works with your will, you'll be a slave to Him, to your will that doesn't want to serve Him. But, until he, but when He touches your will with His grace, your will causes you to want to. And you're a slave to it. Theologically speaking, I'm still a Christian because I fear the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord causes me to shudder at the thought of not being a Christian. My hands sweat when I think of John Steingart. I am so in fear of what's happening. 
I'm still a Christian theologically speaking because I can't deconstruct what God has constructed. <laughs> Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of what? Of our faith. I'm deconstructing my faith. Yes, you sure are. But if you were born again, you couldn't. Because there ain't your faith to deconstruct and you cannot deconstruct what God constructed. One John two verse eighteen says this: "Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the antichrist is coming, and already many such antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come." Verse nineteen: These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. Not to us, but with us. But you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you His Spirit. And all of you know the truth. I don't know about you. I don't think it's... I don't think it's practically possible for me to walk away from Christ. I look at the martyrs of old. It was impossible for them to walk away. From, they'd rather just die and be burnt at the stake. They couldn't walk away from Christ. Well, this person walked away because he, had, he has church hurt. Church hurt? I'll tell you about church hurt. <laughs> I told you about all the pastors we had. But I remember when I was youth pastor, can I tell you a quick ridiculous story? When I, <laughs> because you were, you were there. <clears throat> we had this massive event. There were 600 kids at the event. One of the girls that served on our team, she was a special one, unique one, forceful one, strong kind of a football player. She liked this guy that was kind of timid. She had a big crush on him. And while I'm up there entertaining kids, instead of preaching to them, somebody ran up to me, Pastor Jacques, you have to come quickly. And I had to run next door to this other room. And there were all these kids. And in the corner, this girl had grabbed this young kid, this other boy that she had a crush on, because she asked him to date her. And he said, no. She grabbed him, put him in a headlock, and put a butter knife to his throat. If you don't date me, I'll stab you. <laughs> and immediately, you know, she wouldn't let go. And the poor kid was like, ah, you know. <laughs> knowing her, knowing him, he looked like he was thinking about it twice because it was kind of like a, a ridiculous situation. Everybody's screaming and freaking out. And um, he looked like he was starting to consider <laughs> dating her. <laughs> and a thought came to my mind. Brother, don't. Don't date her. I'd rather die. <laughs> I was shouting, put down the butter knife. Put down the butter knife. The police showed up. They, they arrested, they cuffed her, 
And um, when we tried to minister to her after the fact, she wouldn't hear anything. About a year or so later, um, I was on my way uh, to the courthouse in Joliet to go pay a, somebody's bill, somebody's speeding fine. I was on my way to go and beg the judge to please forgive me that I didn't and that I forgot to. Anyway, I'm standing, it was in the middle of winter, and I'm about across the street, and there was this red light we were waiting for to go green. There were about 15 people, all in their suits, getting ready to go to work. It was early in the morning. We all had a cup of coffee. It was absolutely freezing. The girl next to me says, hey, excuse me, do you have the time? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I have the time. It's <laughs> whatever it was, you know, like 7.45. And she goes, wait a minute. I'm like, what? I didn't recognize her. I kid you not. She goes, you're Jacques, <laughs> the pastor that got me arrested. Uh, and that moment I realized, yeah, I mean, now all things became clear. I kid you not. She started reaming me out right there and started cussing me out, screaming at me. She says, you are the reason I am no longer a Christian. You. And that light turned green three times. Everybody stood there. They didn't cross. They were like, wait a minute. It was like popcorn. All their coffees turned to popcorn, right? I was literally, I didn't know what to say. Because yes, I guess I am the reason why you no longer come to church, serve God, worship, participate. I guess I, I guess it, you know what? I'm trying to think, should I apologize to her? Would that fix everything? Anyway, went on and, and I was so preoccupied with, you know, she judged me, the judge is judging me. Like, I felt like maybe I should just walk away <laughs> from the ministry. Anyway, so after much thought, I realized, you know what? Wait a minute. Talk about church hurt. What about the poor kid that had the butter knife to his, to his throat? He's still serving the Lord. You know, <laughs> what's wrong with you? And I'm thinking, wait a minute. What about all those guys that got burnt at the stake? Talk about church hurt. They got burnt by the church. Oh, I got hurt by the church. Stop it. Don't listen to those people. They're lying to you. We have taught people how to use that as an excuse. Just walk away from Christ. Talk about a hurt. Look at the cross. So I'm still a Christian. Theologically speaking, because who else do I have? Because I preserve or persevere. Why? Because he preserves me. Because I can't uncreate this new creation. Because I can't make this willing heart become unwilling because he works in me both to will and do. I'd, I can't deconstruct what he has constructed. It is his faith, a gift that he gave me. Amen. Secondly, why am I still a Christian in this world today? Well, relationally speaking, relationally speaking, I'm a Christian because I gave up bad company so good habits wouldn't give up on me. Now you might say, well, Jacques, so you kept yourself. You kept your No, no, no. I'm not going to explain to you how God preserved me. He's chosen ways and means of preserving me so that I can persevere. I gave up bad company. I walked away from people. I actually, as a matter of fact, I don't go to places I know the people I walked away from still go to. Tina and I, for almost four years, didn't have one single ministry, ministry friend, not one. But 
it's not like we never had them. <laughs> uh, we, we slept in their mansions and we flew in their jets. We, we knew many people, many. Walked away from every single one of them. Not one. For years. Until after watching American Gospel, I saw somebody in there came from, the, came from Chicago and I called them. And God has changed that in a big way. But I've walked away from bad company because it corrupts good habits. You too need to realize that the people in your life, you have to make a decision about. Because you are not excluded. You are not exempt from this truth. It's biblical. It's going to happen. Bad company will corrupt you. It corrupts. Always it corrupts you. Walk away from them. Yeah, but who's going to save them? God? No. Oh, it's me. I, I'm the last hope. No, you're not. God, the Lord's your hope. All right? And, and if you give yourself to that, then you become the bad company we don't want to hang around with. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean... You don't minister to bad people. It means you don't keep company with them. I don't think I have to explain that to you. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of the fools will not become unwise, but will be what? Destroyed. Let me show you again. He who walks with the wise. In other words, you, you go where they go. He who walks with the wise will become wise. There's a transference of wisdom. But he who, but the companion, the one that hangs out with fools, what will happen to that person? He will be destroyed. Let me say it this way. Who people walk with or have company with is God's chosen instrument of keeping those he regenerated and removing the chaff from the wheat. So again, the people in a person's life is God's tool of either keeping you, if you have people who keep you, or it is God's tool of removing the chaff from the wheat, separating the goats from the sheep, so to speak. Well, that was their choice. Yeah. Because they wanted to. Yeah, so it was their will. Yeah. That's why God allowed it to happen. But don't be a fool. Choose wisely. Don't you be that person that gets exposed for not being a true Christian because of who you hung with. Choose to be with the right people. If it means you move state, then move state. If it means move country, then move country. If it means change jobs, then change jobs. Because nothing is more important than this. Eternal life. Thirdly speaking, uh, thirdly, logically speaking, actually, number three, logically speaking. So first was theologically speaking, then relationally speaking, why I'm still a Christian now. Logically speaking, why I'm still a Christian is because eyes that can see tells you nobody gets out of here alive. You see, I want, I, I, I want hope not just in this life, but I want to live through this life with a hope for the next. When I get ready to cross over, I want to be excited. Can you see how Paul was actually more excited to go than to stay? Can you see that? 
I don't know whether I should go or stay because going would be good for me and staying is good for you. Ah, what am I going to do? I so desperately want to go. You see, that is how we have to live in order to get to that place where it, it, it is something we want more than this life itself. I want to live this life with a hope so great because I have so much hope for the life hereafter. Many today view the Christian faith as outdated. They view the Christian faith as archaic, and I'm ending with this. They view the Christian faith as irrelevant, irrelevant today to modern man. We have science. Mm. Science only helps you understand what God actually did. Yeah. Man, this apple keeps on falling every time I drop it. <laughs> yep, just shows you what God did. He created that too. So many people believe that Christianity is outdated, archaic, and no longer relevant to modern man. But let me tell you that divine forgiveness, divine forgiveness from sin and the promise of life eternal is the most relevant message any human could, any, could possibly hope to have. The message that you believe in and that you have a mandate to share is most relevant than any other news they could read in a headline from any kind of news outlet. Forgiveness from the one who's your ultimate judge, wow, and the promise of eternal life and to know him forever, wow, that is the most relevant message. So don't let anybody ever tell you it's irrelevant, archaic, old-fashioned, and outdated. So logically speaking, eyes that can see tells you nobody gets out of here alive. Stop living like you're not going to die. Stop living like that's not true. Death is part of life. Death is part of life. It's not the end of life. But it's part of this one and that one. Amen. Let's pray.